Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of your Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Carroll. I'm joined by regular guest Dave Prentice and also a very special guest sitting to my left, Mr. Bradley Cate, owner of the EFC Stato Twitter account and website. I'm sure a lot of Blues uh, who listen to this will, of course, follow the account, always blowing our minds with a range of statistics. Bradley, welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. Pleasure to be here. So we'll start a little bit about yourself, a hidden a hidden stat that we didn't know about you was that you're an eight-time countdown champion. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, basically, well, first time round, uh, I've been on countdown when I was 11 years old and gained a lot of na- national attention when I beat Carol Vorderman in a numbers game. <laughs> you <laughs> beat Carol Vorderman? Yeah. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> yeah, got a lot of coverage. Uh, uh, so, yeah, first time round, uh, I won three games and lost in my fourth go. Uh, second time round, uh, I was 18 and I won my 80s games and went straight through to the series, series finals, won my quarterfinal, but lost my semi-final, but had a really enjoyable experience nonetheless. So. Any, any, any chance, can you go on countdown three times? Any chance of applying again or have you, nah. have you had your, your chance nah. in the spotlight? No, nah, I can only go on twice. Okay. Me, so. And then you've obviously a big Evertonian, how did the, the chance to make this Twitter account, make this website, what, what inspired you to become EFC Stato? Uh, basically, I, I posted a few stats on my personal Twitter account, and one or two of them got quite a lot of attention. So I thought, might as well make a, a, a separate Twitter account just solely based on extra stats and as well as like pictures and various other things. And I expanded to creating a website as well. So I love the depth of it. To be honest, I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many different categories on there. But the, the yeah. preseason stuff in particular, yeah. I find quite fascinating. I remember a lot of those games, you know, so from the nineties and that and. Memories of it, sketchy going back to someone else. just to see them all down there. It is. It's a. It's a real resource to be honest. You know, so we use it quite a lot. How do you go about kind of finding your stats and, and coming up with your stats in, in the first place? Is it stuff that catches your eye? Is it stuff that you pe- see people talking about online, or is there some other way that you go about it? Yeah, basically the stats are p- opposed. So basically, are ones that I'm interested in, also why I think the people, other people, will be interested in as well. Because I just don't want to post stats that people wouldn't be interested in as well, like the basic ones. So I thought, I thought I'd go like, I think outside the box about what stats people want want to have a look at. And obviously then, how long does an, uh, an average post or an, as soon as you kind of think, okay, I think people will be interested in that, how long does it take to kind of mine through all the data and, and come up with the with the numbers that you pluck out? Uh, it depends really. Some can just search for it and the, the data's already there, but Sometimes I have to like really dig deep and collect, collect them on my own, like, for example, recoveries, because on some websites they don't have them, but on a particular app there are, but they don't have a total of them, so I had to like tally them up for myself. And something that you told me before we came in as well, you had a, a former Liverpool legend ask you for some help the other day, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, about a month or two ago, Jimmy Carragher asked me for some stats on Marco Silva's record Everton, 
uh, just put one of his Telegraph pieces. And how, uh, did you give him some positive ones with the positive negative in the end? How did that? How did, how did Marco come out looking in that one? Well, he used to be a blue Jamie, didn't he? So ah, he's still got to be nice to him. He's still a big blue with that, I think, exactly. isn't he? <laughs> Quite, it's quite neutral, really. There isn't really anything positive or negative, really. It's just it depends, depends on your own opinion of the stats, really. So the reason we've got you on obviously today, Bradley, is to have a, a good old discussion about the Everton stats that that you kind of bring up. Obviously, Preno, you're a big fan of the uh, yeah. the data as well, aren't you? With your uh, books that go back to what is that now? <sighs> I'm surprised these books attract so much attention. To be honest, it was just something I used. Um, when I first started as the Everton correspondent in, God, 1993, I think it was. Showing your age. And, uh, exactly, yeah. And, you know, clearly the internet didn't exist then. So, you know, you had to keep your own record books. Rothman's Football Yearbook was obviously what people used, you know, a lot then. Uh, but I started compiling my own books whereby I just put the team down for that day. Who was booked, who was substituted, who was captain, the opposition team assists. Uh, in the early days I used transfers and under 23 football as well, or reserve team football as was, and uh, just kept them, obviously I was gutted that um, oh god, I had a car broken into in about 1994 95 and the first couple of books, I'm sure they weren't broken into the car to actually steal them, You never know. but there was, a, there was a bag on the back seat, and, uh, <laughs> the books were in there so they weren't missing, so I had to start again, so I've only got them from 94 95 now, through to the present day and then uh, when I was made chief sports writer in, oh God, whenever that was, um, mid-millennium era, I started doing them for Liverpool as well. So, you know, so I've got this huge collection of, you know, sort of hardback books, which do come in quite useful. Quite often there's uh, some other, you know, journalists who used to work here, work for other newspapers now, get in touch and ask me, you know, who was booked on such and such a date. And, and it also gives you little nuggets like uh, the question we used about um, on our recent Royal Blue Live who's the only Everton player to have been sent off three times in one season. And Dunk. everyone says Duncan Ferguson, but you'd be wrong. Phil Neville? Was, was it Maserati? No, he's been on it twice in the same season. Not Neville, no? No. It was a man whose disciplinary record was even worse than that. 97-98, Slavin Bilic. Ah, Slavin. Man managed to get three. That. So, yeah, just little tidbits like that, you know, so jump out as well. So, yeah. Wait, are these all stored in the office here, or do oh, you have yeah. the missus up the wall? You're joking. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the actual <laughs> programme collection had to go west years ago because she was complaining of how much space they were taking up. So, uh, they were all, well, a lot of them were sold, but no, the books are all stored here in the uh, <laughs> of offices. So Bradley, we'll, we'll let you off the floor. Obviously, the the format of this podcast, you know, it's a very unique one. Very lucky to have Bradley with us today, and he's going to kind of throw some stats our way, and, and we can have a, a a good old discussion about what what they mean and and what, what we think of them. So Bradley has told me he's he stored his brain full of them <laughs> last night when I when I asked him to come on. And what well, what would you like to start with? Uh, I guess we start with a little basic one. Basically, this season Everton already had more shots and shots on target than the whole of last season. And still seven games to go till this season, so let's say that attacking wise we have improved. I think but that's quite in, indicative, obviously. Of I was saying to our other Everton correspondent Adam Jones a couple of days ago, you know, it's been quite roller coaster in terms of since the Derby defeat with Marco Silva. Uh, you know, I think after the Millwall defeat was probably when it was at its lowest ebb, the kind of public opinion. But slowly but surely, we have changed those kind of. Nah, stats like that please me because you know, yeah. Sam Allardyce at every opportunity he gets, you know, sort of trying to diss Marco Silva's reign and trying to big up his own, in inverted commas, achievements at Everton. And whatever he achieved, which isn't very much in my opinion, was uh, done in a very pragmatic fashion with, you know, fairly 
ugly football to watch. I mean, lowest shots on targets in the Premier League, or second lowest, I think it was last season. Uh, you know, creativity, you know, sort of virtually nil. It was just grim football to watch. So to hear something like that, you know, that many shots on target already, you know, with seven games still to go, is pointing in the right direction. Yeah, Marcus Silva's first season has, has been up and down. Up until the Anfield derby, we were all quite optimistic. Things seemed to be going in the right direction. Style of football we were seeing was good. And if you think back, we actually went into that game feeling quite upbeat, possibility of getting the results. Clearly, we didn't. And we all know why. And then, you know, that clearly kicked them in the stomach so much that they seem to take some time to recover but there's been signs that things are going back in the right direction and clearly that stat is one of them that you know so more shots on target suggests that you know they are playing a better style of football and more attacking style of football and they're creating opportunities which is good to hear. Do you, do you think Bradley that the stats are, are backing up a, a more improved reign under Marco Silver or do you think sometimes statistics like this can kind of blow things out of proportion? Uh, I think well from an attacking point of view Everton have improved. I think the main important thing is the players' mentality, because that's what that's what that's what caused Everton to be in a bad run of form. Really, I think that's more to do with the mentality of the players rather than Marco Silva himself. I mean, Marco Silva should share some of the blame, but not all of the blame. I just think once the once the players' mentality gets sorted out, I think Everton can't perform like what they're capable of, as as they've shown in the past few games. Well, the Newcastle games were possibly possibly an exception because first half they were brilliant, but second half probably just defensively been a bit poor and. If they didn't help himself, but nevertheless, I think they have improved. I think that they are recovering. They just need to keep on building on that. I think the quality of player in the squad is so much better as well. I mean, the recruitment policy was so haphazard, you know, in the previous regime. Whereas this season, there clearly appears to be a strategy at work. You know, they're bringing in square pegs and square holes. You know, players that they actually want. You know, so to fit. You know, the pattern of play that they intend to play. And uh, you know, it's early days still, but. I can't think of any of the players that have been recruited that you could say have not been, you know, successful to some degree, some more so than others. But you know, it all points to, you know, you know, people in charge of the club that seem to have a plan, seem to know what they want to achieve, which you know for me is good. And just on that note, Preno, a, a fact that I told you this morning, obviously, you know, Richarlison today kind of said he doesn't, you know, he wants to prove he can do it across a whole Premier League season, and, and we looked today, and he hasn't got more than. Five games without a goal in the in the Premier League this season. You know, talking about player recruitment there. Do you think Richardson gets a hard time a little bit with his perception? Because for me, top under twenty one score in the Prem. I think he's the third top. What you said across. Yeah. Europe, do you think he, d- he deserves a little bit more credit? Uh, he does, yeah. I mean, that stat alone suggests that he's been consistent, you know, so in terms of his goals output, if not his performances. Yeah. But I think what we we tend to lose sight of the fact that he's such a young man. You know, yeah. he's, he's he's 21 in a you know not an alien environment. He's been here two years now, but still, you know, an environment he's unfamiliar with. So he's still coming to terms with English football. Still coming to terms with you know so a different culture entirely. I believe, you know, he still conducts interviews in Portuguese, you know, he still doesn't speak, you know, the native language particularly well. Uh, so, you know, his output is only going to improve, you know, so once those things improve as well. It probably goes back down to, you know, the famous Paul Merson quote about Everton ruining the transfer market <laughs> because it costs so much money. People expect so much more because of the size of the transfer fee. 
And, um, but the fact is that he only cost like one million pound fewer than Felipe Anderson. There's yeah. no hubbub about him. So. Exactly, exactly. No, he has he's had a very, very solid first season at Everton, I would suggest. More consistency than he showed at Watford, you know, so mm-hmm. when he went off the boil, you know, so after Christmas. And but this time he had a long summer break as well, whereas when he signed Rafa, he didn't, didn't have any break as well. Totally. At all, so. no, I'm very happy with him. Yeah. Bradley, Richarlison fan? Yeah, I am. I'm a big Richarlison fan. I think, I think if he... If he didn't, if he played for someone like Spurs, for instance, I think he'd be really he'd go do really well there. But he's with us now. I think the reason why he didn't, people think that he's not as good as people would think he is, is because uh, because of our, our squad really. Because if he played in the Tottenham squad like Tottenham, because he had like uh, Kane and Ali and Eriksen, I think he would go really well with them, and he he'd be like adulated. Whereas uh, Everton, I think he's been criticised, he's not being consistent. I think it's more with, with the squad, really, because I think he's coming through his own, because most of the time he had to, he's, he's on his own, really, because he, he, he's had a left wing, he's in a variety of positions, like left wing, up front, right right wing, so he's been in a mix of positions, and things to adapt, adapt to one particular position, really, because up front he's been, it's been a bit poor, really, but... Yep. I think it's more suited on the wings, so I think that's why where a lot of, a lot of criticism has come in because up front he's been a bit poor, but I think he's in his best position as a winger. I think I think Marcus Silva was right to try him as a striker because Tosin at the start of the season was poor and Cavaloon maybe maybe lost games in succession probably a bit too much for him, but now he's coming to his own Cavaloon and Richardson's best on the wings, so I think overall Richardson's had a brilliant season, so. I think uh, the next season he will really come into his own. Well, our first statistic there just took us from shots on target to Richarlison. So, mm-hmm. what uh, what's next in the in the bag, Bradley? Uh, well, penalties been a hot topic. So, <laughs> yeah, Guilfi Sigson has missed three penalties this season, which is as many as he missed in his entire career prior to the season at club and international level. And do you know how many that that he'd taken? Uh, yeah, this season he scored two out of five, and the season. All the season, prior to this season, he scored 24 out of 27. And can we just point out that Bradley's dragging these out without aid yeah. of st- notes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, they're all he's doing well, he's doing well. And, we, and we put him on the spot with that. This was not, yeah, we didn't it. ask him this before. And no, I mean, it, that, that has just jogged me memory about it. Uh, I remember writing a story earlier this season about uh, Everton and the you know, likely penalty takers. And um, I think it was when Baines might have been still been in the team in the first three games. Uh, oh, maybe just found the Everton crowd too intimidating. Yeah, and that's the thing. Could be, could be, yeah. yeah. And people are suggesting that Luca Dean take penalties instead, but in his career he only taken one before, and that was that six right? years ago. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. have suggested Luca Dean. I don't I, know if I it's think just say that because his expertise yeah. is so good because he's a left footer. Yeah, Calvert Lewin, I wouldn't mind seeing on the spot. I mean, uh, has he taken any that you know of? You know, on uh, the twenty-one level? I don't or? think he has. No. no. You just you just expect a striker should be. You know the kind of person that would want to take a penalty and would you know so have a half decent you know sort of record. But again, if he's not taking one, you've got to you've got to feel right mentally. You've got to be the person that wants to take it. Is that a problem that you know we don't seem to have anyone in the squad who you can kind of say he takes penalty? You know, for yeah, so many yeah. years we were lucky yeah. to say Baines. Before then, we kind of had your Unsworth and your. Well, I mean, I had Buddy Kevin Morales and uh, you know, <laughs> Ross Barkley fighting over them. Um, <laughs> no, to be honest, I, I genuinely believe that. Um, Leighton Baines, I wouldn't say fell out of love with taking penalties, but he always did it. I mean, we've spoken to Baines about it, and he did it because 
you know, nobody else wanted to, and he was happy to do it, and he proved very, very good at it. But since he missed that penalty at Old Trafford, uh, you know, so De Gea, you know, did he score from the rebound or did he miss entirely? I can't remember now. But he missed one at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, and just seemed to lose all, all relish for the job after that. It's almost like it planted a seed of doubt in his mind. And if anybody else was willing to take the responsibility, yeah, he yeah. was happy to yeah. pass it over. Now, I've spoken to him about it, and he said, well, no, Romelu was going through a bit of a crisis of confidence at the time, and I thought it would help him by allowing him to take penalties and score goals, which he did, you know, for a spell, until he proved, you know, so not as reliable as we'd hoped from 12 yards. But then he never really seemed to have that enthusiasm for grabbing the responsibility back again. So... You've got to want to take them, as simple as that. Yeah. If you're going to be a penalty taker, you've got to want to take the penalties. And if people don't want to, you've got to look elsewhere. So your nomination would be Calvert-Lewin at this moment in time, if we get a well, penalty next game? It, I can't think of anybody else, really, that you know that's playing regularly that would take them. You know, Richarlison missed the one in the shootout, didn't he? That, you know, so you wouldn't really... You know, so you wouldn't have much faith in him. Um Sometimes penalty takers can take you by surprise as well. Yeah. You know, players that you don't expect. I mean, Phil Jagielka, you know, scored the one that took us to, you know, the cup final. And Did miss against Fiorentina. Well, missed against well. Fiorentina, so. Mm. I think well, yeah. un- centre-half, that you know, a stroke left-back that you wouldn't expect, you know, so to be, you know, so technically perfect from the spot, but he was, but the best we've ever had. I don't remember Unsworth missing one. He did. Missed one against Liverpool? No, missed one. He joking, absolutely leathered it in the top oh, corner. So it was uh, he, he took one against Sheffield Wednesday. I think it might have been the first one he missed, and the bar is still reverberating now. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> smashed it. One 2 0, so it made no difference. He missed one against Sunderland on the last match of the season that we drew 2 2, so it didn't really matter anyway. And he missed one at. Newcastle in a penalty shootout that we actually won in the League Cup tie. He just but, misses when he wants to. But he scored in the penalty. He scored a penalty in 90 minutes in regulation time. I think he only missed three. I think I'm right in saying that. So yeah, didn't really not not significant ones. The ones that he missed. You know, whenever it mattered, uh, you know, he always put it away. And he actually don't, don't forget when he left Everton. Uh, he scored a goal which kept Wigan Athletic in the yeah. uh, in, in the Premier League. That's the most yeah. penalty I think I yeah. remember most. Yeah, Bramall Lane, wasn't it? Bradley, who would your nomination be? Dean? Um, I don't know, really. It's quite difficult, because I think uh, I think Sigurdsson has a, has a point to prove, really. I think if, he's, if he still wants to take penalties, he has to prove it. I think he should give him one more chance, but if he misses that, then he needs to go for someone else. And maybe... The thing is, Bernard hasn't had a shot on target this season, <laughs> so maybe that could be a good confidence boost for him. <laughs> He hasn't had a Premier League shot on target. No, no, he hasn't. And that doesn't suggest that he's going to be that, you know, so ruthless from 12 yards, but who knows? It's not. I mean, you know, I love Bernard and he's very skillful, but that's seemingly the one part of his game he needs. He can certainly finish, like we've seen, you know, when he got the chance against Lincoln. But he just doesn't seem to be getting himself in those. Chance against Man United as well. Chance against Man United, and there was one against Chelsea, wasn't it, where he kind of fluffed his lines as well. But do you think he needs to offer more of a goal scoring threat now? Uh, like yourself, I like him a lot, you know, so he's got great technique, you know, so a wonderful uh, ability. But no, he's not the complete footballer, otherwise, you know, so Everson wouldn't have got him. Yeah. You know, so he'd have gone to, you know, so Manchester City or, you yeah. know, so, you know, that shot across the park, there we say. <laughs> um, so no, I mean, you know, so finishing is possibly one element of his game that, you know, so he needs to improve on. But, you know, so everything else is creativity, his vision. Uh, his ability to spot things other players don't is absolutely top class. Yeah, so I'm a big fan. He's also a good player defensively as well because yeah. he's had like 
four, made four tackles per 90 minutes uh, this season. So. And is, is, is that good compared to the rest of our wingers? Uh, yeah. 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 Four far, tackles yeah. per 90 minutes. So what, what's the uh, next stat on the cards, Bradley? Uh, next stat... You just see his brain <laughs> weird near with Evan's stats. Uh, next stat... Uh, let's go for Jordan Pickford. Basically, he's one penalty save away from making Everton history, really, because he saved three penalties uh, this season, and no goal- Everton goalkeeper has ever saved four in a single season. Go on, it was the uh, previous goalkeeper who saved three. Got to be Southall, yeah, wasn't I think it? Yeah, sure. Southall. Neville Southall. So now we just need Everton to give another penalty. He does seem to have a, a knack of, of saving penalties, Preno, and do you, do you think that... You know, what's your assessment of, of Pickford's season being so far this season? Oh, gosh. We've discussed him so many times in here. It's, it's mixed. He's a great shot stopper, yeah. which is why his record from 12 yards is so good. Um, but there are obvious flaws in his makeup, which you know, he needs to address. And that it's immaturity, I think, more than anything. You know, he's 25 years old, which for a goalkeeper is still young. He's still learning. Um, I mean, Marco Silva addressed it well after the Newcastle game when he said he wants to see greater emotional balance. In other words, don't get involved. You know, so don't you know, so react to the supporters. Don't react to the opposition. Easier said than done, I know. Um, I mentioned the uh, the Goodison Derby match when it was Sadio Mane bumped into him as he was uh, just off the pitch and like so sort of knocked him over and he turned around and squared up to him. Don't get involved. There's no need. You know, so why do you react that way? I mean, you want a goalkeeper with the unflappable demeanour of a Nigel Martin. I mean, even Neville Southall at his moments, you know, so early in his career, certainly, you know, so he could be, I wouldn't say a firebrand, but, you know, he reacted, you know, he reacted to the the crowd a few times. I remember, um, oh gosh, uh, I think I've still got the letter somewhere uh, that Neville gave to me when uh, I think the fans were shouting something at him. It may have been around the time when he'd uh, sat on the goalpost after the Newcastle, after the Leeds game, and he was... uh, suggestions that he wanted to leave the club and uh, he gave an ill-advised hand gesture uh, to the fans on the park <laughs> end and uh, the following day on the Monday he received a death threat and uh, you know he actually took it seriously and you know he showed it to me and you know it, it looked you know so fairly kosher anyway handed it to the police um, so that anecdote basically just underlines that you know so even the greats you know so do have you know so issues you know so with being able to switch off and being able to focus entirely on the game and they learn how to do it and goalkeepers have got to do it more than most that's the one thing Jordan Pickford needs to do even playing for England last night you could see he's trying a bit too hard to impress sometimes his distribution was too ambitious didn't need to be as clever as he was trying to be yeah I think everything just came too quickly for Pickford because uh, as last season, suddenly he was just—he was only a first choice keeper there for just for that season. Then he came to us, and then he had a brilliant season for us. And then he went straight to the England squad. Straight to the England squad. So just everything's come too quickly for him. I think he just needs time to calm down a bit and get used to everything. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has just happened like an absolute whirlwind for him. And you know, so maybe a summer's quiet reflection away on a beach somewhere. Uh, you and, know. And a, well, there's the Nations League, so... Well, once that's ended, yeah. And yeah. he's a dad now as well. You know, maybe yeah. that'll uh, balance him out. Do you think, though, that could be part of the problem that he's trying too hard now to answer, you know, with some of his distribution, that was like, is he trying too hard to do these flashy things to kind of answer the critics in too soon a manner? Should he just put his head down, as, as Chris B, as he put I, it? I think that is the case, yeah. But, you know, he's a young man who's desperate to impress. So it's difficult trying to tell somebody to, to calm down. And, you know, we're discussing this around the table here in you know, so Old Hall Street. The, um, 
you know, the powers that be at Everton and Finch Farm will be far more acutely aware of uh, any issues he might have than we are. And I'm sure they'll be, you know, sort of getting into his head, you know, sort of trying all they can to try and settle him down. Maybe he's one of those players that just performs better when there's a little bit of adrenaline going, you know, so when yep. there is an edge, you know, the, the penalty save at Newcastle. Do you mean, mean like here, Ashley Williams style? Maybe not quite <laughs> as much as that. Again, that, yeah, because again, we, we spoke to him about that. Yeah, so after the, he said to you, wasn't it, that he, he liked playing on the edge yeah, after yeah. the Leon game? It's after the Leon game, and yeah, he, he did. He was a really, I know, maybe not everybody's cup of tea, Ashley Williams, you know, so he came to Everton towards the tail end of his career. The statements of the uh, boss, yeah, boss, you know, he, he's a very articulate, very considered individual that thinks long and hard about his game. And he did say that, yes, yeah, sometimes he needs that little bit of adrenaline rush to be able to get the best out of him. And it's a very difficult balancing act trying to get it just right. Whereas, you know, you're not fighting with the, you know, the entire Leon team and you're just trying to, you know, sort of play your game to the best of your ability. Some players do need that. They need that little extra buzz. Maybe, you know, Duncan Ferguson, you know, the uh, you know one of uh, Jordan's coaches. Uh, you know, I, I saw virtually every game that Duncan played for Everton. And he undoubtedly turned it on in the bigger games when the adrenaline was flowing more than in the more, you know, so prosaic matches, if you like. And he won't accept that himself, you know, so he'll claim he gave absolutely 100% in every match, which he probably did. But just that little edge, that indefinable something was always there against Liverpool, against Manchester United, you know, in big FA Cup ties that maybe wasn't there in other games. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bradley, we've had Pickford, we've had Richarlison, we've had goals. What's what's next? Uh, let's go for let's go for a defensive stat. Uh, Everton have kept five clean sheets in the last ten league games, and in the first twenty-one league games of the season, they'd only kept four. That's a good one. It's definitely a good one. Does it kind of show Preno that slowly but surely we're getting there under Marco Silva? Well, yeah, I mean, my maths is appalling, but to me that's like a, is it 100% increase or 50% ratio. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's it's a lot better than it was in yeah. the first uh, first you know, so 20 or 20 games. In the last four games as well. So. Exactly, against opposition that you would suggest are possibly mm-hmm. the most dangerous, you yeah. know. Chelsea's forward line, you know, is well, and Liverpool's forward line. We know what they've been doing this season. So to show those levels of concentration, I think again that could be an issue. You know, you can Everton can show those levels of focus and concentration against the bigger teams when it matters, but again, need to do it consistently and need to you know sort of produce it against every every single team. Maybe the lessons uh, you know, so Marco Silva's trying to get into them and now finally being taken on board. Um, I don't want to talk about set pieces and say that maybe they finally got that nailed because that's just going to immediately, you know, sort of underline that they'll concede one at the weekend. But you know, so touch wood, you know, so corners, free kicks from wide areas don't seem to be in quite carried quite the same threat that they did, you know, so the other side of Christmas. In in a weird way, I think we we spoke about it to me when there was that. What, how long break did we end up having? It was like seventeen, 17 days. days yeah. And there was a lot of talk about how big that 17 days was for Marco Silva, but he's almost came back and kind of proved proved himself. And, and, and with these statistics, it almost seems like, you know, what Everton fans wanted the team to go away and work on, they have kind of done it, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, they had seven points from those games, which I think every every Everton fan would have taken before the, those games. So I don't think a lot of people would complain about how Everton have been performing in the past few weeks. And do you think it's important now, Dave, for, for obviously the Newcastle match, you know, as Bradley said before, if you can kind of take that out, you know, the recent form has been strong. Is it important that we don't have any more 
stupid slip-ups like that kind of thing to, to keep the wave of positivity going? Yeah, it is. I mean, I know I'm often accused of uh, going too far back in history in these uh, pods and, you know, sort of using lessons from the past. <laughs> but you can learn lessons from the past. And I always think of the first two or three seasons that Howard Kendall had, you know, that preceded the, the glorious era that I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, to live through and watch. And they were fairly dodgy seasons, the first two or three seasons. But consistently, Howard ended them on a on a high, took a bit of momentum into the summer. I think uh, one, I can't remember, 81, 82, you know, so uh, quite how many games they won in the last like half a dozen games, but 82, 83 was the same. Certainly 83, 84, you know, so a great run towards the end, which culminated in the cup final. But he managed to finish each season on a decent run of results, which, you know, so kept fans upbeat going into the summer. It gave you a little bit of hope and optimism to look ahead to the following season. And it just, you know, sort of kept things, you know, sort of on an even keel. And again, you know, that's what Marco Silva needs now. Uh, he needs to end the season, you know, on a bit of a roll. Uh, the fixture list is tricky. You know, there are some big games in there, but, you know, Arsenal are a team that we've done OK against at uh, Goodison in the past, you know, so get a result in that one. United, you know, the atmosphere is going to be like that day. You know, so, so who knows, you know, so, you know, so how that could end. Just get results in a couple of those games or don't lose them, certainly. And, you know, so get positive results in some of the away games. And immediately people start looking forward. I mean, I'm not going to embarrass the guy by naming him, but I got a, a phone call the other day from a very, very high-profile Evertonian. Uh, high profile, you know, so in the public eye. Was it me? He was uh, no, no, far more <laughs> high profile than you, Sam. I'm afraid, and a lot older than you. Uh, but was trying to convince me to throw money on Everton to win the league next season. And I said, oh, "Behave yourself." What are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, "That is Snowden." Goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like him. Should, should we, no, I'm not going to embarrass him. But uh, I, I could sort of see where he was coming from. He said the, the contrast between the two halves against Chelsea is the most dramatic he'd ever seen. And this guy's been watching ever since the 1960s. And um, he said that if we can do that against a team like Chelsea, who knows what can be achieved next season with two or three astute purchases in the summer in the right positions. And I think he had dreams of doing the Leicester City style thing again. <laughs> All right, that, you know, that's not going to happen. Manchester City are absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. at the moment. And it's going to take something to catch them but there's no reason why you know with the right buys we certainly couldn't be aiming at you know sort of top five maybe even top four um, with that quality of performance but for that to happen we need to have a good end to the season and so everybody goes into the summer feeling optimistic and feeling you know looking forward to next season and just to you quickly mentioned it there just quite interested to know you've said about Manchester United coming to Goodson Park Romelu Lukaku's first game back at Everton since leaving would you would you be a fan who'd, who'd jeer Lukaku, or is he is it just one of them? No, I, I, I don't believe in that at all. Um, I want him back at Goodison. I mean, we had that feature this week, didn't we, where we had to say name the three signings that um, you know you would like to see arrive at Everton in the summer, and it's difficult, you know, so trying to second guess. Andre Gomez, everybody wants to see yeah. signed, so that was clearly going to be one of them. I think I threw Takure down as Watford because I'm expecting Adrisagana Gay to move on, and you know, so he's a good, solid, you know, so central defensive midfielder. But Lukaku has never been adequately replaced. I loved him as a player. Um, it would be a tough sell, you know, so PR-wise to the Evertonians to accept him, you know, so yeah. back again. But he's Everton's leading Premier League goal scorer. He offers pace. He offers strength. 
Okay, his first touch still needs a bit of work on him, but you know, so he's just a very, very, very good footballer, and he's the kind of player Everton haven't got, and I'd love to see him back in a royal blue shirt again. Uh, so no, I, I certainly, you know, obviously we don't jeer from the press box; you get thrown out. But um, <laughs> if I was sat on the Gladys Street, I, I probably wouldn't be jeering him either. Uh, I, I just, I just don't, don't really get that at all. When uh, me and Phil went to Millwall and Tosin scored, I kind of stood up and gave it a little fist bump, and then quickly realised where it was. Oh, it happens. I mean, uh, it, oh, I could tell you all kinds of stories about that. Uh, when Graham Sharp scored against Sheffield Wednesday, Philip McNulty, uh, now of the BBC, you know, so <laughs> chief sports writer, I turned to my left, and he's there with his arms in the air, screaming. Um, so you know, even Phil let himself go on occasions, and uh, I always remember the, uh, oh, the the famous Wimbledon game '94. Again, it sounds like the dark ages now, but having to press the button on the uh, the football echo that day, and we used to literally have the t- you know, the handset on the telephone up. We'd have to dictate to a copy taker, you know, three or four parts of the front page of the football echo, which would then be printed and be on the streets literally 30, 35 minutes later. And if you remember that day, uh, well, you don't obviously because you're far too young. <laughs> but, um, wasn't that, even born but, no, <laughs> but, but that day, you know, so Everson didn't just need to beat Wimbledon; they needed results to go for them elsewhere. Now Blackburn, who were champions elect, I think, were playing that day against Ipswich, I think it was, and so we thought, oh, well, you know, so they're going to beat them; that won't be the problem. Sheffield United were playing Chelsea at half time. Sheffield United were two 0 up, so we just forgot about them, lost sight of them. Blackburn. Uh, was still going nil-nil all the way through the game. I think Oldham was another match. They were playing Norwich, and I think they were also winning. So I'm sat in the press box, and I'm seeing, you know, so finally Graham Stewart scores that, you know, so a late goal. The fans are all going ballistic at the end. But I can't, you know, so file my report because I didn't know everything was safe. I genuinely didn't know what had happened elsewhere. And Phil was sat next to me, and I was saying, why is everyone celebrating? Why is everyone going mad? You know, so Blackburn haven't won, you know, so, so you know, they're still nil-nil. You know, the Oldham game, you know, so uh, they've won. And he just screamed at me, Sheffield United have lost, Chelsea have come back, you know, so I'm one three. So, so I was finally able to, like, you know, sort of dictate me, me garbled three or four paragraphs down the line. And the press box balls had an absolute meltdown that day, you know, so it was an incredible day. So, yeah, professional reserve, I'm afraid, had, uh, had gone missing that day. Bradley, what's next? Uh, so I'll go for one out of the bus and go for, go for focus on the youth players, one in particular. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ellis Sims. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're, you're not going to believe this. But, uh, <laughs> literally, before we walked in here, he just scored a hat-trick today against West Brom. Uh, so I've just written a piece, or I'm in the process of writing a piece about his ridiculous goal-scoring record this season. So give me some stats I can use on it. Uh, well, he scored in four FA Youth Cup rounds in a row this season before Everton Sally got knocked out. And he's yeah. the first player to do so since Rain Rooney. Oh, I love it. I love it. Look at that. <laughs> that is why. That is why we brought you in, brother. You've, you've just literally made Preno's day. I think that is unbelievable. Do you, have, do you remember the, the hype around Rooney oh, on that FA Youth Cup? About it. I, I do, totally. Um, Again, I think I've, I've mentioned this story before. Uh, I didn't, you know, write it at the time because uh, Colin Harvey asked me not to. Uh, but when uh, Colin was in charge of Everton's under 19s, I used to go down to Belfield every Monday morning and just get a quick positive report on how they got on the previous weekend. And uh, went down one day, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, we got beat 2-1, Man United. Not the greatest performance. Well, yeah, it was okay. Did this, did that. Uh, lad called Rooney, you know, so scored for us. And I genuinely never heard of the name. So I said, uh, Rooney, don't, don't know that name, Colin." And he goes, no, nah, you wouldn't, he's, uh, uh, he's only 15. Or 14 was, he? I think he's 14. And I said, 14? And he's playing for the under-19s. And, you know, so he just hushed. And Colin didn't dispense praise liberally. You know, so he was a real tough taskmaster. And uh, he just went quiet and he said, yeah, 
He's like a young dog leash, except he's quicker afloat and quicker across the floor. And I just took a stop, stop, you know, step back, you know, so wide-eyed and said, what? And he obviously realised what he said and goes, and don't put that in your bloody paper. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't. But obviously I kept tabs on Wayne Rooney's progress and obviously he started scoring goals galore for like the younger age levels. And that FA Youth Cup campaign, I mean, the, the one at Tottenham where he took the free kick from 30 yards, hit the wall, came back to him and he just leathered the rebound straight in. Yeah, yeah. He, he just scored ridiculous goals. Walter Smith actually said to me, um, so this young player is the man who's going to save my job. Uh, he, he didn't. <laughs> uh, but he, actually, he actually, actually took him down to Southampton uh, when I think he would have become the youngest player in the club's history if he'd have played at Southampton uh, but he didn't get on I don't even know if he was named on the bench that day I think he was on the bench yeah but yeah he didn't get on um, and then I think England under 16s or under 18s whatever it was called him up so he was then unavailable for the last couple of matches of that season everything was safe anyway then so it didn't really matter uh, so he missed his opportunity uh, to become the youngest player in the club's history uh, and you know, I think it was well, you know, Walter's regime all went pear-shaped from there and David Moyes was the manager that you know, sort of got the, uh, the benefits of him uh, but yeah there was an absolute buzz about him and it was justified because you know, so as soon as he as soon as he started playing for the first team, I don't think I've seen it since. You know, so a buzz about a player. Whenever he got the ball, you just anticipated something was going to happen. I mean, that goal against Arsenal, you know, so clearly lit the blue touch paper. But the one at Leeds the following weekend was even better, and that was a goal. You know, we'd not won at Leeds for forty odd years. Yeah. And, you know, so to score well, that one, oh, just an astonishing buzz every time he got the ball, and that is why Everton fans, you know basically was so bitter about his departure because they attached so many dreams and aspirations to that player and just you know saw a man that you know was going to but a boy that was going to transform the club and you know he didn't you know he's only there till the age of 18 and then uh, you know sort of moved down the road and clearly Manchester United benefited from a genius you know, sort of a world class player and, and like me Bradley was Rooney the first ever player you know both the same age were, were 23 so Rooney for me was the first player that broke my heart as an Evertonian. Was yeah. there a similar experience? Yeah, it's to you? the same. It was yeah. the same. I was devastated when he left. Like I, I remember, like uh, remember at home uh, uh, watching just like Stock Saturday when Rooney scores, and I think it was Alan Mullery, Alan Mullery, uh, which was report, who was reporting. I was I was absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that that occasion really well. Well, that that was an incredible day. That because no one wanted to go home afterwards. I really, mean, yeah. it was just the ground was just packed. There was only one person that left the ground that day early, and that was the chairman, Bill Kenrice. And, um, you know, so he was going to the south of France, uh, and he had to leave to catch a flight, so missed the goal. I remember him telling me he spent ages trying to get a, a cassette, a video cassette of the goal, because uh, I think he was travelling the match of the day he was on, so he actually missed the goal. Um, and I think the, the cassette that was sent to him in the south of France, and again, you two won't remember this, but it was Betamax, which was the old-fashioned style of uh, cassette, when he actually needed a VHS, which would fit a machine he had. So, you know, eventually he managed to get somebody to send it out to him, and he finally saw it. Yeah, but he missed it. But nobody else wanted to go home. The ground was rammed for like 10 or 15 minutes afterwards. People just buzzing in excitement at what they just witnessed and what they just seen and don't forget Arsenal had been beaten for like was it 30 odd games you know so prior to that yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. this incredible run that had been ended you know so by this 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 prodigy then Arsenal lose the very next game as well exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah my, my Rooney memory is that at the start of that season I got the blue Everton kit uh, with Rooney on 18 on the back and the away kit I got um, Rosinski on the back and obviously at the end of the season they both left in 
acrimonious fashion. I remember, so you're the jinx. I, well, I think I am, but I remember the season. My dad just kind of picked up these two shirts, took them outside, just burnt them both, and that was the way we uh, that was the way we dealt with them them in our house. But they obviously there was hype about Rooney at that point. I know Everton didn't get to the final of the Youth Cup and they got knocked out, but in this modern age, clubs are more protective about the young players. But Ray Sims, for the amount of goals he scored, and is still relatively under the radar. I don't think your average match goer is necessarily aware of Ellis Sims. Yeah. Again, for the under-18s, like in the in the league and the youth club, he, scores, but he said he scored a hat-trick uh, today. I think that he scored now 28, I think, this season. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I've just been trying to work it out, actually. And that, maybe that's why he's under the radar, because under-18 football isn't particularly meticulously recorded uh, so even Everson's website you know so I was struggling to find details of some of the earlier games this season and I think I got to, I think it was 34 goals in all competitions that he scored this season because he scored when he came off the bench for the under 23s uh, for the first time there was a Lancashire senior cup match I couldn't find any details on that he may or may not have scored him but you know his record is phenomenal but we don't want to get too carried away, do we? Because you know it's a huge transition, you know, from under eighteen football even to under twenty three football, and then from there to the Premier League is vast. Mm-hmm. So you know he's tall, he's quick. Uh, I don't know a great deal more about him other than that. I think he qualifies to play for three countries: Poland, Jamaica, and really? England. Yeah, you know, so you know, so he is quite an interesting character. Um, I mean, David Unsworth spoke highly of him about his goals record. You know, he does the hardest thing on the pitch, which is to score goals. And if that's all he does, great. You know, maybe he is just one of these like natural predators that you know sort of scores goals and there isn't much else to his game. But it's not a bad you know sort of string to have to your bow. Uh, but no, not a great deal I, I know about him. You know, so other than that, he's now equal to record that Wayne Rooney has, which is, uh, <laughs> which is pretty. Uh, Where is waiting gold? <laughs> uh, Bradley, I think we've got time for for one more. So hit us with with whatever you'd like to finish with. Uh, let's go for. Set pieces, but not defending set pieces, attacking set pieces. In the Premier League this season, Everton created, uh, I think it was 52 chances uh, from the corners and free kicks this season, which is the joint most in the league. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. What, what constitutes a, a chance, though? Because the ball's going in the box, isn't it? Do we do we know that? Or is it? Basically, a shot has come from it, really. A shot has come from it. Yeah. And I'm assuming we haven't scored many of those because I can't remember. Yeah, we scored a few because. Chelsea scored from the corner. Um, yeah. The Keane against Bournemouth, yeah, or that Keane, came back Keane out against uh, Wolves as well. Mina against Burnley as well. So he scored a fair few from set pieces this season. They've scored. Uh, I mean, Dean at Burnley. Um, They've scored eleven from set pieces this season. Right. It's a pretty, it's a pretty shocking statistic for me. That really, I wouldn't have expected. Shocking in a good way. Yeah. Shocking in a good <laughs> way. And, and but in that, though, you know, when you actually have the matches, sometimes you still, I still don't think. Especially from corners, we've got someone who especially whip, whips deliveries in. No. Well, equally, Gilfie Sigurdsson's delivery is excellent uh, from set pieces. When he gets it um, right, I'd yeah. say maybe that's what, what one every two, three corners. I, I don't know. I, I think he, I think he's very, very good at that. Yeah. Um, it's, I think possibly, the technique's lovely. Poss- to watch, possibly we're being spoiled a little bit in the past. You know, Andy Hinchcliffe, you know, was so good. You know, yeah. so sort of whipping, you know, sort of set pieces in. Bainsey, you know, Bainsey's yeah. delivery was always very, Arteta very good. For a while, I don't yeah. Arteta, ball. yeah. So you know, you maybe you hark back to you know, so those kind of players when you're thinking of the current setup. But uh, there aren't many better, I don't think, than Sigurdsson. You know, so uh, you know, delivering balls into the box, and clearly that's why Dean's been good as well. So, yeah. Yeah. so I'm 54. Yeah, that, that's some some you know chance creation. Do you think next season as well, if if Yeni Mina can kind of get form and consistency right? I mean, he must surely. I think all of Mina's goals in the World Cup came from set pieces, weren't they? 
Has, has Mina scored the one against Burnley, or has he got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should have scored more. I mean, uh, the Anfield, oh, the Aussie, yeah. uh, great opportunity. Down at Chelsea, if you recall, on his debut, uh, I know it was, I think it was ruled offside in the end, but about six yards out because I was. Yeah. I was down on the away end that day, and so <laughs> right in front of me. And uh, how he missed it, I don't know, but it didn't matter in the end. But you know, he gets into positions, and you know, hopefully, once he settles down, I mean, as he proved in the World Cup, he can be an absolute threat. I think the one he's only young, isn't he? Isn't he like 21? Yeah, yeah, 24, I mean, isn't he? And I think there's quite striking as a young I think the one in the Anfield derby just came too early. It was really yeah. early on, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think even he was like, I remember the cameras going on him after it happened, and I think even he was like, I didn't expect to. To get that chance, uh, Brad, one one more if you want. I think we, we rattled through that one pretty fast. Uh, okay, let's go for. Uh, well, it's one that I tweeted a few, a few weeks ago. Uh, Charleston and Sixers scored twelve goals this season, and they're the they're the first team, the first place uh, where first pair of players to score at least ten goals in the season since Campbell Wisniewski in the two thousand two and three season. Campbell and Rosinski, what a what a partnership! There, is right? that right in uh, in all competitions? Is that uh, or? no? I think it's just the league, but I think probably the same in all competitions. Anyway, but for now, it's just the league. No, because I, I saw a stat today, which site did it? Was it Sky Sports or something that claimed they were the first time we'd got two players in doubles figures in the league since the eighty six eighty seven title I think that was winning 12 season? Plus, wasn't it? Oh, was it twelve plus? Yeah, because that blew me away. That I thought, God, yeah. how long? So this is Campbell and Rosinski, who yeah. a decent double act, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rosinski. He was a bit hit and miss with his finishing, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't his name on the back He's of my fat. shirt. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I remember a pre-season friendly up at, uh, oh gosh, was it Dunfermline? It was in Scotland. Uh, East End Park, whoever plays there. I think it was Dunfermline. And uh, Peter Jardine, a guy that used to work for the Daily Post, uh, who left here then to go and work for a Scottish paper. I can't remember which one it was, one of the national papers up in Scotland. And uh, the press were actually sat behind the goal that day. And uh, he was sat talking. He goes, hello, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for a while. And the game was just about to start. And he goes, so what's this Everson squad like? And I said, yeah, it's not bad. I says, you know, so he's decent, he's after decent. Radzinski, who just like picked up the ball you know, outside the box. I said, he's quick, you know, so he's direct. But, oh, he's finishing so hit and miss. As I was talking, Radzinski got through and came clean through on goal. And I thought, he's going to make me out. He's an absolute liar here. Put it straight at the keeper. <laughs> and I said, they are Jardo. That, that just sums up Radzinski. <laughs> I think the other thing, because like, as you said, I've seen the, the Sky Sports that as well, and I think what that sums up is that kind of, you know, Sigurdsson and Richardson, it's undoubted that performances definitely have been, have been up and down, but at the end of the day, they've, they've got goals and they've yeah. been worth the weight in gold this Imagine season. Imagine where to would be now if you had the proper striker. Exactly, well, that's the thing. And as you mentioned before, you know, Richardson's been all across yeah. the front line and you know, Sigurdsson's obviously had a, a run in his in his favourite position, but you know you've you've got to look now and think there's two players there who can get goals. You add a, mm-hmm. a twenty goal season striker into that mix, and you know, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there, there are you know so reasons to be optimistic. You know, so the, the signings have been decent, like you say, Sigurdsson's being played in the correct position and uh, is flourishing as a result of it. I find it a bit weird, you know. So when people are a bit sniffy about Sigurdsson, not everybody seems to be, you know, so enamoured of him. Yeah. But to me, he's a class act, you know. So he's a quality footballer. And uh, I mean, this morning there was some speculation flying around that you know, so Trippier has been linked with uh, with Everton, and Spurs fans are buzzing because they think it might mean Sigurdsson might go back down the other way. Really, yeah. They actually wanted him back, yeah. Uh, you know, because he, he was only there briefly and didn't really succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I like him a lot, and you know, so so 
the problem is scoring goals, obviously. You know, any successful team has got to score goals. And if you've got two players who are getting into double figures already without a top-class striker, if we can add that to the mix, that's not to disparage Calvert-Lewin, who I like and yeah. I think could develop. But, you know, if we were to get you know, so a reliable goal scorer in that mix there as well, who knows? Well, that's been your special Royal Blue podcast, a special statistics podcast. Uh, I'd like to say a big thank you to Bradley for joining us and... It was a, an honest experience to see you uh, uh, going through the statistics like that. And thanks to Dave as well for sharing all your Everton <laughs> memories and, uh, and stories. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, keep joining us and keep checking back on the Liverpool Echo website for all your latest Everton news with Dave, Phil Kirkbride, Adam Jones and Chris Beasley. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.